Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. And we are back. A special collaboration between Crossover and Open Floor. Chris Mannix joined by Rowan Nadkarni and Chris Herring. Fellas, uh... We might be doing a lot of this moving forward, the collaboration podcast. So good to see uh, uh, you guys here as well. Rohan, um, I'm glad you could take some time away from Miami Heat tweets and Tom Cruise tweets and blind retweets to to actually do some productive work, my friend. I'm, I'm glad you um, Somebody has to be here to like stand up to the Boston media mafia. I know you and your cronies. Uh, we're really ah, feel, feeling yes. yourself at the start of this season. A lot of Sam Hauser propaganda, um, you know, so someone has to kind of put their foot in the sand here. And I'm happy to fill that role today, Chris. Also, you, you said ha- you said happy to see you guys, except you have kept your video off for this call. So like God knows. Well, no, only of- because. Uh, well, so since you were late to join the call, I, I mentioned my <laughs> camera was broken here. So, okay, like, okay. you know, if you had been on time, maybe we could. um <laughs> You could have caught that explanation. Speaking of Rohan's like throw-ins for things, I, I recently saw the whale in which uh, Brendan Fraser's character kept saying, "Oh, my camera's broken. That's why you can't see me in these Zoom calls." And he's actually just ashamed to be seen. Uh, uh, excuse anyway, me, uh, you guys. Another. You guys should know that how vain I am. Like, yeah, if I'm going to be a chance to be on camera, yeah. like, come on. There's nobody. Yeah. Like, I will be. We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. I will be in the NBC Sports Boston studios tonight to do more there TV. We go. So all there's right, no. There's no level of vanity I won't yeah. uh, reach up to. All right, we have a lot to get into today. I want to talk about the Knicks. They're surging right now. The Celtics uh, dropping in the standings in a free fall. Might be out of that number two spot sooner rather than later. Uh, but first, guys, the big news, of course, over the last few na- uh, days, John ja Morant uh, sent away by the Memphis Grizzlies for a couple of days, uh, for a couple of games, I should say, in the aftermath of the video surfacing of Morant in a Denver nightclub holding a gun that was on his own uh, Instagram Live. As we record this, this would be the second game that Morant uh, was away from Memphis. The Grizzlies, in their statement, said it would be at least two games. So right now, we don't know how long uh, this you know de facto suspension is going to last. Chris Herring, we'll start with you. Um, I guess your reaction to everything we've seen over the weekend involving John Morant and... Uh, and where Memphis and John Morant go from here? Uh, I've got a couple, honestly. I think first, uh, this was starting to become not the gun necessarily, but just the the idea of like where there's smoke, there's fire. There have been three or four incidents now where uh, any one of them could have been really, really bad, could have resulted in something really, really bad. Um, He's been kind of essentially accused or implicated in three or four of these things. None of them have come to fruition where he could necessarily be suspended. Um, but after a while, and I think particularly after this video, what appeared to be a gun was in his hand. He's waving it in a club. Um, it makes some of the other stuff more feasible, which is really troubling. The idea that he um, allegedly punched a 17-year-old that was playing pickup at Jaws house and then after the dust up or whatever, that when the kid is walking back to his car, 
that he sees Morant come out with a gun on his hand or with, with his hand on a gun in his waistband. And that's troubling on its own. You know, that there's nothing to corroborate it necessarily from the standpoint of witnesses. No one is backing that assertion. It's a lawsuit now because of that. But that is kind of a, that would be a wild thing to just accuse somebody of. And then later when you have months later, the, the next year, whatever, that Morant is waving a gun around, it it, it sounds troubling. Uh, the the part that bothers me most, I think, and it's more of something that I wonder is starting to become a trend. And as we get in an era where it's more accepted, and I think rightly so, that so many people seek mental health and mental health uh, resources. I'm starting to be a little bit bothered, though, by the, the implication and the idea that um, Morant's statement and before this, Josh Primo's statement, uh, when these guys are sent away, essentially, or when they're about to be sent away, that they say that they're going to take time to focus on their mental health or their well-being. I have no problem with the idea of focusing on that, but I have a problem with the idea that Morant already had two or three things that hadn't caught up to him. And now it's like he's going to take time away to get the help he needs. He needs help from the people around him and stuff like that. But there are a lot of people that have mental health issues that are not pointing at that. They're not saying that they need help after they get caught up with something that forces them to take a seat. So it, it's, I know it's kind of a side topic from what you asked, but I, I do have a real problem with that. And I, I'm, I feel like I'm starting to see more and more stuff like that in people's statements, which feels, I don't know if lazy is the right word, but it feels inappropriate to me. And I have a real problem with it. Yeah, I think the point Chris is getting at is what we need to see is accountability, right? Like, I think we're all for if John Morant is, in fact, dealing with a lot of stress or a lot of anxiety or whatever the case may be. We don't we don't know the particulars and he is handling these things in a poor way and it's causing him to act out in such a way. That's not good. Obviously, he, he should seek help for that. But to Chris's point, like what needs to come first is accountability. And I think my reaction is I hope that whether it's the Grizzlies or it's the NBA, the people around John Morant, um, hold him accountable for these actions. I mean, it, it's just on so many so many levels, like, you know, why are you, even if you're for some reason, you feel the need to, like, bring your pistols to a strip club, like, why are you going on Instagram Live? Like, obviously, that's not the real right. issue here, but it just, this shows just the lack of judgment on so many levels that's happening in the situation. So, I got to be honest, like I, I know that today's supposed to be the second game. They they haven't said how many. I don't see how he just comes back right away and starts playing basketball. You know, the Colorado police are now reportedly investigating it. The NBA is going to investigate the situation. If he had the gun with him on a team flight or any kind of team-related activity, that creates another issue. I, I don't see how he just comes back after two games. I, I, I kind of have a feeling this is going to be a longer-term thing, and I, frankly, I think that's important because off the court, I think there needs to be a serious accountability here. Um, and we can get to the on-court stuff at some point if, if you want. But it, to me, it's like I don't see the situation being resolved very quickly, Chris. So what does accountability look like then, Herring? Because he, at this point, he's not being held accountable. He was sent away for a couple of games in Los Angeles, and he's still getting paid. There's no suspension here. They, they did not na- call it a suspension. They just said away from the team. I know the NBA is watching what's happening here very closely because the NBA, and look, Adam Silver, his blind spot is often player punishment. He doesn't come down on players in the same way that David Stern did. David Stern had I no agree. problem. He had no problem being the enemy. He, he actually kind of relished it in a weird way. Um Adam Silver has prioritized a healthier and more productive relationship with players, and he can point to the success of avoiding work stoppages and getting through these collective bargaining agreements as evidence that that relationship has has been, or that that approach has been the right way to go. But this is guns. This is involving a gun. And to Rohan's point, we don't know where that gun came from. Was it on a team plane? Uh, did he? Br- where was he bringing that gun around? Where where was that gun? Where did it come from before it found its way into John ja Morant's hands? I don't believe the NBA is going to allow John ja Morant to come back after this two game uh, send off. I think there is going to have to be a official suspension for John ja Morant. Now I don't know where that comes from, whether it's the NBA or if they allow the Grizzlies to do it, but 
I, I just I can't envision a scenario where Ja Morant is away from the team for two, three, even four games and then comes back and says, I've addressed some of the issues. I'm ready to be, you know, I'm ready to be more positive and I'm I'm ready to move forward and beyond all this. I don't think the NBA can get away with that. This is obviously not the same situation that emerged in Washington a decade and a half ago where Gilbert Arenas and Javaris Crittenden basically treated that Wizards locker room like the OK Corral. But this is still a incident involving guns. And the NBA, in my opinion, and I think in their opinion, is just not going to allow this to uh, be, quote, resolved by a couple of games or three or four games off for John Morant. I agree. And uh, I think that um, whatever Memphis ends up doing great, but I think uh, they probably need to be looking at five games plus for Morant. I I would like if the league did it. I I wrote a column earlier in the season about being a little bit disappointed that the league didn't act faster. Not a little bit, but disappointed that the league didn't act faster with the Kyrie Irving situation, that they kind of seem to be letting the Nets handle that. Obviously, the Nets were the ones that did implement the the time away for Kyrie and uh, essentially suspending him. But I think the league needs to put their foot down. And I, I thought um, of what I've read the last couple of days outside of your, your column, Chris was uh, Mark Spears. I thought had a really interesting column, someone that covered the nuggets for a while and was covering them while Carmelo Anthony was in Denver. And it's really easy to forget now. And I think especially for younger fans, how, many issues Carmelo had when he first got in the league. He was someone that kind of revered Iverson to a a large degree, the way so many people did. Obviously a lot of people have kind of drawn comparisons between Ja and Iverson and Carmelo had several incidents that were kind of troubling away from the court Uh, that he was involved in a stop stitching video. He was, uh, I know he had a DUI. He, um, and then later, what kind of came to a head was that he was involved in a fight between, ironically, the Knicks and the Nuggets, and everybody got suspended. Carmelo was the one that threw the biggest punch that kind of really uh, exacerbated everything, but he got 15 games for it. And when uh, the suspension came down, Carmelo was kind of in disbelief. He met with David Stern about it, and David Stern specifically said, I'm making an example of you. You don't think I know all the stuff you're up to, all the people that you're involved with, all the stuff you keep doing that we're trying to rein in, like you're too big an investment for us. You're making a hundred million dollars. Sit your ass down, kind of like get straight. And to your point, Chris, I agree with you that if, again, what I was making a point of a statement that you're going to take care of your well-being and prioritize your well-being, you don't do that with a two-game stretch. You probably don't realistically do it with a five-game stretch. Uh, but I, I I think that five games or something closer to that is closer to being able to take meaningful steps to figure out who you're putting in place, to figure out what you're putting in place to get help that you actually need. Um, but you know, I, the reason I raised Carmelo and I think Mark's piece was so smart is that Carmelo for the last several years has not only not been a problem, he's been an ambassador for the league, even away from the league, uh, you know, was, was involved in all sorts of stuff. Uh, as it relates to policing, as it relates to the community and how they're involved with the police, as it relates to Freddie Gray, as it relates to uh, the speech that was given at the ESPY several years ago with LeBron and D Wade and Chris Paul, he's he's an ambassador for the league. And I think that Ja, uh, if he could follow in those footsteps at some point, he would be really fortunate to be able to do that. And I think the league would be better for it to be able to show that he was not a cautionary tale. He was someone that turned stuff around. You know, Rowan, I, I just want to add one thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with John Morant, when I talk to people down in Memphis, and I've talked to a few over the last uh, several days as this story has developed, the one thing I hear consistently is that John Morant didn't come to Memphis. He didn't, I'm trying to phrase this the right way. He didn't come to Memphis and it, it didn't set off alarm bells that he might evolve into a guy that might be eventually holding a gun in a nightclub. Mm-hmm. Like, John Morant, you know, frankly, didn't grow up like Allen Iverson, right? Grew up in a different, uh, a different way, different lifestyle. Um, he comes to Memphis, and the message I've been getting from people in Memphis is that he surrounded himself with people down there that have steered him down this path. Now, that's not an excuse. Like we've we've been 
kind of, you know, Chris Herring, you mentioned the narratives about this thing. It's like a lot of it's like John Morant surrounding himself with the wrong people. You're a grown ass man. Like you're 23 years old, right? You know, you you should know better at this point of your life and this point of your career that you should not be asking reportedly when a mall cop gets off so you can take him out. You should not be putting your hands on a 17-year-old. Frankly, you should not be playing basketball with 17-year-olds. <laughs> like, you should not have 17-year-olds over your house to play basketball with. You want to play with, like... Younger athletes, go to the University of Memphis. Go play with, with college kids. Don't be playing with 17-year-olds. That's crazy. Uh, John Moran has to have some accountability here. This is not just about the people that John Moran has chosen to surround himself with. This is him. And, you know, I, I, as much as we want to blame environment, this is John Moran just deciding that he's going to become this guy that, you know, does and reportedly does a lot of these things. Yeah, it's a bummer, especially with someone you mentioned. He's he's 23. He's, he's so much of his career theoretically ahead of him. And I do think it's interesting, Chris, because there's so many things at play here. I thought Jalen Rose made a great point when he's gone from someone, you know, at a very early age, he's now kind of the guy being counted upon in his circle and his family, et cetera, the pressure that comes with that. Um, it. I thought Bomani Jones also made an interesting point where he's like, when you're famous in Memphis, it's a lot different than being famous in Los Angeles. It's like there aren't movie stars coming to your games in Memphis. It's just there's a lot of factors at play. But I think at the end of the day, we're all in agreement. Like he needs to make better choices. He needs to recognize kind of the danger he's putting himself in by making some of these choices. And I think to the point David Sternop was making with Carmelo Anthony, it's like, the reason why I think the league needs to be more serious about this is because he is someone who could be the face of the league one day, someone who could be a massive star, someone who Nike is giving a signature shoe to. That doesn't happen uh, to a lot of players these days. Um, the, too many parties have too much riding on him. And, I, you know, that's probably part of the pressure he feels. But, you know, he has to make better choices because it's not just um, – He's not just representing himself. He's representing the NBA. He's representing the Grizzlies. And there, there's, it's not easy, the responsibilities that come with that, but there's a lot of uh, positives. And obviously, NBA athletes are generally willing to make that trade off for a lot of reasons. So at the end of the day, it's like he just, you're right. Like he needs to make better choices because, you know, at the, he's putting himself in danger with what he's doing right now. And look, we can talk about basketball when John Morant comes back, but he may have just submarined this entire Grizzlies season. Like, there's only, what, 18 to 20 games left for them at this point. He's going to miss a chunk of them. Now we got Brandon Clark done for the season with an Achilles injury. This was a year that Memphis could have entered the playoffs legitimately thinking they could win the West, at least. And now everything is in limbo at the moment. They still have the number two seed, but they could get caught. They could wind up slipping even more, um, you know, all this could have basketball consequences as well as uh, real-world consequences. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the south side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. All right. 
I want to talk about Chris Herring's favorite team, the New York Knicks. They are surging right now. Winners of nine in a row. They are sitting in the number five seed at the moment in the Eastern Conference. They just won a thriller in Boston a couple of days ago, beating the Celtics in double overtime. Emmanuel quickly, a tour de force in that game. Just a ridiculous performance by Emmanuel quickly. The Knicks are in, I believe as we speak, the top five or six in offensive rating. They're top 15 in defensive rating. They're playing with confidence. They have all-Stars and Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, Julius Randle rather, Jalen Brunson on that level. Um, I guess the question I'm going to ask you, Herring, is that two years ago we kind of saw this, right? We saw a great Knicks regular season team. Um, is this team different? Does this team have playoff success potential, or at least more playoff success potential than the team we saw a couple of years ago? Yes, just to put it bluntly, yes. Um, I think t- two things. One, yes, they they are not an elite team defensively on paper. They are a lot more formidable when Mitchell Robinson is there, and he missed a lot of time, and they were playing 500 ball uh, during the time he was out, which you know for them is not bad, but they are an elite team defensively, especially now with Josh Hart. They've got mm-hmm. so many wings they can throw out there. Um, that are disruptive. They've got everybody kind of playing on a string, playing hard. Um, as we Josh Hart was talk. a sneaky good pickup. Josh Hart sneaky Fantastic. good pickup for that team. He was, and 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 you know, to Chris's point, I, I, I don't give a damn the Knicks win, lose, what have you. Uh, but I do pay more attention to them just by having covered them before. Uh, I follow so many Knicks fans who were kind of like angry that the Knicks were giving up on Reddish, angry that they're giving up. Uh, you know first to get Josh Hart. And I was like, have you watched him play? Like the team struggled, particularly when Mitchell Robinson was out with rebounding. Josh Hart is great at rebounding. He's great in transition. He's one of the best single transition players in the league, just coast to coast. He's uh, a guy that hustles. Like he's Tom Thibodeau's fever dream. Like he's perfect for them. And that's even if he's not shooting well, he has a a role on that team. Um, Not to mention that I think advertently, inadvertently, He's someone that when R.J. Barrett is shooting you out of a game that you can plug in and it puts pressure on R.J. Barrett that he doesn't just have carte blanche to shoot poorly, to not play with effort. It it, it is a great pickup for them. And uh, so I think the addition of him and their rotation, Quentin Grimes has obviously been there. It also puts pressure on him from time to time when he's not playing well. Uh, You know, you don't have to use Barrett, who has shot poorly at times, but has been okay lately. Um, and you know, the, to the other part of Chris's question, do they have more of a ceiling than last time? Yeah, they have a point guard now. Uh, they don't have to rely on Derek Rose playing 35 minutes in a playoff game off the bench or having to start him all of a sudden when he's come off the bench all season, because you have Alfred Payton as your point guard. So, uh, Jalen Brunson, it goes without saying that he's a guy that can go out and get you 40 if he has to, um, and that they're also winning games without him. They're beating elite teams without him, or at least you know the Celtics without him the other night because Emmanuel quickly might be the sixth man of the year this year. So there's no question in my mind they're a better team. They're a little bit more experienced. Julius Randle looks far more comfortable, and you don't have to rely on him to do everything the way that you were trying to do the last time, which that, you know, as, as much as I love Brunson, the big question is how does Randle do? Because he looked totally overmatched when they played Atlanta a couple of years ago on that stage. He wasn't ready. He wasn't able to kind of take on the double teams. He wasn't making the right decisions when he was doubled. Having Brunson there is a guy that can dictate a lot of that, dictate where the ball goes, and also having more shooters than they had on that roster, I think will take them a lot further in addition to Mitchell Robinson if he stays healthy. They are scary. <laughs> the Knicks are good. First of all, just incredibly fun to watch, uh, especially the last couple months. You know, I do the entertainment rankings for SI before the year every year, and I'm always I always put the Knicks low because they always play these grind out games. The offense generally under Tibbs has not been very good. It's been a complete, you know, flip of the script this year where they have a really good and fun offense. Uh, you mentioned Julius Randle. Can he hold up? I, I like owe Julius Randle an apology because. I thought the season he had a couple years ago when they made the playoffs, when they had the first round series against the Hawks, I thought it was a little bit of a fluke. I'm like, this guy had nine months off. Some players are coming back after 70 days. The Knicks had all this time and they make a run. You know, remember the Celtics get swept the first round that year. Like 
the Heat got swept in the first round. They were the conference finals the year before. Like it felt like a weird season. Then last year he comes back down to earth. But we're seeing now a team that's built so well around its two best players in Brunson and Randall. Um that they're in much better positions to thrive. I mean, Randall has turned into one of the best isolation players in the NBA. His three-point percentage is way up. Um, that Just playing around better talent has made him such a better player. Uh, I think they're really impressive. I mean, them winning that second Celtics game, you know, I think Boston for so much of the season, the only team top five offense and defense seemed head and shoulders above everyone else. For the Knicks to... To have the win in the garden at home, you know, Jalen Brown missed that game. Uh, you know, the Celtics, it's, it's a little chippy at the end there. You think the Celtics going to come back at home, kind of have a statement game. And the Knicks win without Brunson, that was just really, really, really impressive to me. I, I think that they have – I still think second round would be fantastic for them, but if they made the conference finals, would I be shocked? I don't know if I would because I think. This oh, stop! Of, no, I, I can't take it anymore. I can't take. I, I can't. Think, you don't think they could beat Philly? Finals? You don't think they could beat Philly? No, I don't. No, no, no. I don't think they beat Cleveland either, for the record. But that's. Mm. But look, I'm. I, the Knicks are a roller coaster ride, man. They have been all season long. Now they're on the way up. But I, I'm old enough to remember writing a column about them back in December when they were winning, and then all of a sudden they lost four of the next five, and then they go into <laughs> January and they win a bunch in a row, and then they lose four straight. Um, would either one of you be shocked if this time next week, right after the Knicks go on this four-game road trip out west, that they've lost three out of four? Like, I wouldn't be because they, you know, Randall, he is such an enigma to me because <laughs> at times, at times he looks so great, but then I'm watching that Celtic game. And after the Knicks came back from that double-digit deficit behind quickly playing out of his mind, Randall's out there playing hero ball for the first six <laughs> minutes of the fourth quarter, and the Celtics almost stole that before the start yep. of the first overtime. Like, I just, until I see it, guys, I don't trust Julius Randall in the playoffs. I need to yeah. see it. And look, Cleveland is going to come into the postseason without much experience, but Donovan Mitchell is out of his friggin' mind. They defend as well as any team in the NBA. I don't think, even with the way they're playing this year, and I agree with you guys, they're better than what they were two years ago. They're more diverse offensively. Um, they've got more weapons. R.J. Barrett's a little bit older. Brunson's changed the game. But if Julius Randle is someone you're going to rely on to score efficiently in the playoffs, I'm not buying it until I see it. I'm not. Because he didn't. he struggled in that last postseason series he was in, and his numbers were fine against the Celtics. But you guys watched like he was <laughs> like the Celtics gate. The Celtics entire game plan was to wait until Julius Randle turned his back and then send a double team at him like that was their entire defensive game plan. And it worked over and over again. If they had half a second more at the end of what was it, either the end of regulation or first overtime when Jalen Brown made that steal, they would have had a chance to win the game um, at the very end. I, I just I just can't trust them at this point. They're a different team. They've flipped, as Rowan said, they've flipped the offensive-defensive script, but I, I just can't trust the team that relies that heavily on Julius Randle being efficient. I, I really respect it, and I wish I, I had come out with this take, and I appreciate where you're coming from genuinely because I had to watch Julius Randle put up like a prime Michael Jordan performance against Bam Adebayo the other night, hit the most insane game winner yeah, three I've ever shot. seen. That was absurd. That whole game, he's hitting shots just over contested threes over and over again. It's like, what are you supposed to do with this guy? I just, I doubted Randall so much last year and have been so I'm, I'm, I agree to an extent, Chris, where it's like, it feels like defenses want him to take the shots he's taking. Like, I think they most do. Teams, they yeah, actually do. They, yeah. They, like, I think most teams, yeah, we'll live one-on-one -on -one, Julius Randall isolation. Help is ready. Send the double if we need to. Otherwise, yeah, let him shoot all these contested twos. But I mean, we've now had, three quarters of a season of evidence that it's working. I, 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 I completely respect the skepticism, but I just feel like I've been burned already so much this season that at this point I have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Well, Herring, let me ask you this and we'll end the Knicks conversation with this Cavs, Knicks first round series Cavs with home court. Who do you got? I'm, Probably going to take the Cavs. I mean, there's there's a lot of indications. First of all, you know, the experience thing is the one thing I I, I kind of waffle on or, or go back and forth on. I will say, though, the Cavs, for them to have the best defense in the league, 
and also for them to, uh, even though their offense isn't quite as prolific as the defense is, um, that their offense has performed really, really well against top 10 level defenses this season, uh, which is a really good indicator. The best net rating in the league, I think they overtook the Celtics the other day. Um, I think I would take them. I think I would take the star power of uh, Mitchell over anything the Knicks have uh, instead of relying on the fact that the Knicks have a bunch of really solid role players, maybe even more than Cleveland does. So I I think I would take Cleveland, particularly if they had home court. But I do... I, you know, I I do think that the potential is there for the Knicks. I do think that they're more real than they were two years ago. So I think it would be a fascinating series to watch, more so than the Knicks uh, Hawks series that turned out to not be very good a couple of years ago. Rohan, Cavs, Knicks, right now, who you got? Oh, there we go, Mister Conference Finals. Can't <laughs> even get the words it out. Unbelievable. If, if, Cle- if I'll pick whoever has home court advantage in that series, and there's a non-zero chance that New York catches them. That's what I'll say. Whoever gets the four seed, that's who I'll pick. Hey, in the postseason, I like to pick the team with the best player. And yeah. uh, Donovan, Donovan Mitchell in that series would be by far the best player. Like, he would. He's Man, that's going to having... be fascinating if they play each other based on the, oh, the whole God, Donovan yeah. Mitchell thing, yeah. too. Oh. Yeah. The, the Knicks... they, might, they, they might burn the garden down if Mitchell goes <laughs> yeah. off for like 40-plus in that series, like, which he's going to try to do. Um, to your point, Chris, about can the, will the Knicks, you know, they followed up winning streaks with losing streaks. Looking at their schedule, they got Charlotte on Tuesday. But after that, they got a West Coast road trip against the yep. Kings, Clippers, and they got Denver, Minnesota, and two more with Miami coming up. It'll be – we'll find out by the end of March how real they are for sure because the schedule in March is pretty tough. But- and if past, if past is prologue, every time the Knicks go on a winning streak or a hot streak, they wind up going – on a losing streak as well like they do look at the schedule this is what happens to them there are reasons for all of it you know but this is kind of what they are they are a roller coaster ride of a team and right now that's on the way up but we'll see a week from now uh where it goes from here this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the centurion lounge is he connecting to complimentary wi-fi oh my look at that he is and you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. All right, last thing I want to get into is the Boston Celtics, who are scuffling to say the least. Loses of three straight. They blow a 20-plus point lead at home against Brooklyn. They go to double overtime against uh, the Knicks on Sunday. They play pretty well in Cleveland on Monday, uh, but they lose another overtime game there. The defense, it's middle of the pack once again. This is what what the Celtics made their bones on last season. It is now, since February 1st, I think they're like 13th in the NBA in defensive efficiency. Um, Herring, how concerned should Boston be about the Celtics right now, about how they're playing and where they're at going into the playoffs? I I think there has to be some concern at this point. I I wouldn't make a whole lot of it just because, you know, for for so long now they've been dealing with guys in and out of the lineup. As we speak now, Robert Williams is, is one of those people, you know, a few games before it was, it was Jalen Brown. Um, You know, smart has been out for a little bit of time here, there. I, I can't get that worked up about them. But what I will say, and the reason that I do have some concern is 
kind of one of those like while you were sleeping, Milwaukee just got dominant. <laughs> uh, and so I think that, you know, again, is it a concern? Should it be a concern? I don't, maybe that's too strong because I think Boston's capable. But Boston had a version of Milwaukee last year that was without Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton's not even playing world-beating basketball right now. Um, he's still coming off the bench, and Milwaukee is just dominant. Uh, and you always are curious when a team hits a level like that. This is a team that has won a title. This is a team that took Boston to seven without him being there. And I really do think that it might be as simple as him being there makes a big enough difference. Their role guys are starting to hit a stride. Ingles, who wasn't a contributor at all earlier in the season, was hurt to start the season and recovering still. Looks like a legitimate guy. Um, Bobby Portis is back. He's playing well. Brooke Lopez is there. Drew Holiday has been much better offensively, um, even when he's had to step up when Middleton wasn't there. That's my concern for Boston. It's it. Even though I know the Knicks have taken them out now three times, I think, this year, that's not even my concern, even though they, they seem to match up pretty decently against Boston. My concern is Milwaukee for them. And I think that um, if Boston somehow isn't whole by the time that they reach a stage where they would play Milwaukee, that's my concern, is that I don't think that they're going to beat Milwaukee again if they're not at full strength. Yeah, I, I I echo Chris in terms of I think Boston should probably be more worried about what's happening in Milwaukee necessarily than what's happening in their own house, only because I think this is the most depth the Bucks have ever put around Giannis. I I, I cannot wait. I pray to the basketball every gods every day that we get that series. I, I want to see Bucks Celtics. As far as Boston goes, I mean, you think about that Cleveland game, Chris, we were talking about it right before we started recording. Crazy game last night. Grant Williams misses two. He just needs to make one free throw. He misses both. The fact that they're even in that game, considering they're basically missing their entire starting front court, uh, was kind of remarkable to begin with. Uh, I do have questions, though, about their front court rotation. Listen, if Tatum and Brown are healthy in a playoff series, they're going to be great. Derek White has been phenomenal this season. I think he's probably even been better than Marcus Smart this season. He's been really, really good on both ends of the floor. But like Al Horford played, I think, over 45 minutes in that Knicks overtime game. Like he's playing a ton of minutes. Can you get another long playoff run from him? Rob Williams, I just, I, he's such an exciting player. And the way he can just destroy a team's offensive game plan by himself is remarkable. But I just don't know that you can count on him. Then you have Grant Williams, who the team seems to be relying upon less yeah. and less. Uh, he struggled with his three point shot lately. He doesn't look to be quite the same player he was last year. Um, I'm a little bit worried about their front court rotation, especially when you have to consider they're going to need to go up against theoretically Joel Embiid, uh, Giannis. You know, are they going to be able to hold up against guys like that? I don't know, but am I panicked or worried? Like I said, they're still top five uh, on both ends of the floor. They're the only team in the NBA with that distinction. So even though they slipped in net rating a little bit, you know, the three point shootings obviously slipped since the insane start to the season. Um, since people were writing, you know, love songs to Sam Hauser uh, on Sports Illustrated. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm I'm not overly worried. I just think at the end of the day, it's going to be a crazy matchup with the Milwaukee. That's what it's going to come down to. Love songs to Sam Hauser <laughs> from the guy that has never met a Bam Adebayo story he wouldn't write. Um, wow. <laughs> this is too good, y'all. Yeah. Too good. I, Chris, can I ask you a question about this? Yes. We, we've said all year, and I think it still holds true, that uh, Joe Mazzulla is going to be a huge story for the Celtics going into the playoffs. Mm. Like, you know, I, I see people that I respect who think that he should be uh, in the conversation for Coach of the Year just because of how chaotic everything was prior to the season beginning. Obviously, I think Mike Brown has that award pretty well spoken for. But this second half so far, with Boston looking as kind of uh, – not wishy-washy, but just mediocre at times. Not great would be the best way to put it. Um, how He seems to be just listening to the way he speaks. He seems to be like a law of averages sort of guy. That like, even if it doesn't look great right now, over time, this will balance out and we'll get back to where we need to be. Do you feel like he's almost too laissez-faire about that? Or do you, like, what do you see happening when they get to no, playoffs, I, when he gets to start turn? I don't think he is in the locker room all that laissez faire. I, I think he's projecting that publicly because mm. he thinks that's the best way gotcha. to do it. I, I do think gotcha. there's more of a concern internally for how the Celtics are playing, but 
to your point, Joe Missoula really is an X factor for this team. There's no questioning Joe's basketball acumen. He is an incredibly bright guy. I've gotten to know him mm-hmm. a lot over the last few years, and his basketball mind is is up there with some of the best basketball minds I've been around. But he still is, what, 33, 34 years old. And this right now is really the first taste of adversity that he's had to deal with this season. You remember the Celtics, they hit the ground running to start the year. Ime Odoka was exiled just days before training camp, but they didn't miss a beat to start the season. Afterthought after a while, yeah. Yeah, so Joe comes in and does a great job keeping the trains to the tracks trains running on time on the tracks and he didn't have to deal with any of this kind of adversity now he is and one thing Ime Udoka did last year that was highly effective that I think had a real impact on the Celtics kind of coalescing in early January was publicly kicking the crap out of them like Ime Udoka would sit up there at his press conferences and call Rob Williams soft or Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum selfish and decry the lack of leadership in the locker room. He would do that right in front of the cameras. It was great TV if you were watching (laughs) this team kind of struggle in November and December in Boston. But that tough love eventually worked. And it got to them, and the Celtics took off in January into February. Best team in the league, I think, in the second half of the year. Zoomed all the way into the finals. Joe Mazzulla doesn't do that. And Joe Mazzulla is not going to do that. Now, there's probably good reason for it. Joe Mazzulla doesn't have the level of credibility that Ime Udoka had. Ime Udoka was an assistant coach on a championship team. He worked for great coaches. He had, what, seven years as an NBA player to fall back on. Joe doesn't have any of that. He played... At a, uh, you know, he played college basketball, but his coaching experience really was a couple of years as an assistant and then a head coach at a Division II school. So Joe does not feel comfortable going out there and criticizing his guys because, but the reality is, you know, some of them deserve some criticism at this point. They are taking some bad shots, they are getting a little bit too three point happy. Rob Williams, like, Rob Williams played through enormous pain last year. Mm. Enormous pain. Rob Williams dispelled any questions about his toughness by playing through knee pain all through the end of the first round and into the NBA Finals. Like, this is just my guess. But if Ime Udoka was here right now, he would be not so subtly slapping around Rob Williams in the press because he'd be saying, well, Rob's got another injury, hamstring injury. You know, sometimes you got to play through stuff, guys. Got to play through stuff. The Celtics need Rob Williams badly because, Rohan, to your point, they do fear Milwaukee more than any team out there, but not necessarily because of Chris Middleton, but because of that front line. The Celtics at the trade deadline were deep in talks with San Antonio about Jakob Pertl. Like, they wanted him, and they were willing to give up a first-round pick for him, and they were willing as well to pay what it would have cost to keep Jakob Pertl after the season, that probably would have been around $18 million per year. They wow. were willing to do it and explode their luxury tax. That's And they were because they're looking into the north up there and looking at Milwaukee and saying, all right, Giannis, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, we got to match up. And right now, if we're fully healthy, we've got a pretty good chance of matching up. But saying you're fully healthy is relying on Rob Williams and his yeah. game of operation body Al Horford, uh, who's 36 years old, and then you're tapping into, you know, Luke Cornett, who was just a, a train wreck last night, and Mike Muscala, who got pushed around in overtime. Like, they're just not comfortable with what they have in that front guard. Now, ultimately, the Spurs decided that Toronto's first-round pick was probably going to be better than Boston's first-round pick, so they went that direction. Mm-hmm. And the Celtics, understandably, weren't willing to include two first-round picks in that deal because that would have been a lot of capital for for basically a backup center. But they know that that the physicality of the Bucks is going to be or could be a problem for them, and they badly need Rob Williams back into that mix. Or they need Grant Williams to get over this case of the yips that he's dealing with and get back to being the three-point shooter we saw early in the season. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating to think about, too, because they've kind of played... You know, part of it's been injuries, but I don't know that they have found a 
five-man unit yet necessarily that they are feel the most confident in. I mean, they certainly have some really good five-man lineups. The lineup of, you know, that I think we thought would be their starting five coming into the season before Rob had the offseason surgery of Horford, Williams, uh, Brown, Tatum, and Smart hasn't played that much together. And the minutes they've played together hasn't been very good. They've been a significant minus in those minutes so far. Um, and it's just crazy to think about because on paper they have such an exciting front court between Horford and the two Williamses. Obviously, they were so great during that playoff run last year, and it feels like this year they just haven't been able to unlock the combinations. And what's interesting is you talk about Boston preparing itself for the physicality of the Milwaukee series. You look at what Milwaukee has done is that they've prepared themselves, I think, on the perimeter to play Boston in a way they couldn't last year. I mean, last year they are starting Grayson Allen. Those minutes were a disaster. This year, theoretically, they can put Middleton back into the starting lineup. Now they have Jay Crowder to throw at Brown and Tatum. They have Joe Ingles to throw at Brown and Tatum. Uh, they still have Wes Matthews kind of buried on their bench as an option for a few defensive possessions. So it, it does feel like at the moment Milwaukee is so much more prepared for that series than Boston, and that's what would worry me as a Celtics fan, is it's weirdly the team, even though they've been really good this season, generally, like it feels like there's a level that they still need to unlock and they're, they're figuring out how to get there. Yeah. I, I, there's a part of me too, that wonders like for all the good things that happened for the Celtics this season, I think one of the bigger developments for them, and I still think it could pay dividends is that Derek white got such an enormous opportunity to step up and was playing like a, a second star obviously was not Jalen Brown level, but he was, I mean, for him to go off for 20 points a game at the rate that he was doing for the length of time that he did, it, it felt like a give and take a little bit of maybe other guys fall out of rhythm while that's happening for him. They, they weren't great during that stretch, even though he was individually great. Um, Grant Williams was so big for them in that series last year. I mean, he literally won the game seven for them against Milwaukee. So I kind of feel like at some point, like Chris is saying, you're going to need him to step up. There are going to be times where you want to run with a smaller lineup and essentially play him as maybe the biggest guy you have on the court at times when you're not going and with Chris, more of a traditional. I, I can't figure out what's going on with Grant Williams because he missed those two free throws um, at the end of regulation that would have won the game. Uh, or at least one would have won the game. Mm-hmm. Grant Williams is a good free throw shooter. He's a good free throw shooter. <laughs> yeah. I just think it, something in his, is in his head right now, whether the downward momentum of how he's played over the last couple of months, he was at 33% from three-point range and the field in February. Now he's in the 20s in both right now. Um, maybe that's to do with it. Or, you know, another theory that's been floated to me is like, you know, Grant turned down a contract extension you know, last year like that the Celtics were talking to him. They wanted to give him a long-term deal. Grant held out. Like, is that in his head somewhere? Like, you know, d- does he feel like he's got to play for more money at this point? We- we've seen it happen before in the NBA. Yeah. So like, I wonder DeAndre if that's Ayton last year and it kind of sunk the suns a little bit, despite how good they were. Yeah. It, it, is it, is there something going on, Chris, in, in Grant Williams head that, that is, is messing him up right now? Because he's in, if, if he's playing like this, where he becomes virtually unplayable in key moments, uh, where he's not a threat from three-point range, that rotation's blown to hell. Like, Mike Muscala's out there playing 40-plus minutes yeah. during this, these games. Like, what the hell? Mike Muscala was dumped <laughs> by Oklahoma City because they had somebody else that was going to take his minutes. Um, Mike Muscala cannot be more than the break glass in case of emergency guy. Like, that's that's who he has to be. Because because of what you're saying. I mean, every all roads kind of lead to Milwaukee if we're, if we're talking about Boston. We think they're going to get as far as they're, you know we do. And Milwaukee, we think that they're going to, you know, we essentially think these teams are on a collision course, more or less, to make the conference finals. Which, by the way, if Grant Williams isn't playing well, it's not as much of a foregone conclusion. I don't think so, you know. Uh, but if they do play against each other, that's kind of the guy for stretches that you're relying on to guard Giannis that can literally go toe-to-toe, I think more appropriately chest-to-chest with him. <laughs> he and I talked about that earlier in the year. It's, it's a task to put anybody in front of Giannis and just tell him to stand there and to take a charge, which Giannis is going to dribble himself into some of those. But uh, you also need him to be enough of a threat out there to potentially have the faith in him to go win you a series. And uh, so it's, it's you know, I don't know what the answer is. Like, it's one of those things where you were pointing out earlier, and I hadn't really thought about this. I don't, I'm not someone that looks at the standings every single day. 
but if if the Celtics start to slide, uh, if they do actually slide beyond the two spot in the East, and if you see that you're doing that and you're not totally concerned about the seeding, do you almost just give Grant Williams extended run at some point because you're not focused solely on just like how many games can we win? What seed are we going to get? You need him to be back in a rhythm. You you can't really afford to not have him there um, if that means just kind of – or does that add more pressure because he kind of sees that you're giving him more time to just get a slump buster you know, sort of game at some point. So um, he, he's, he's quietly – not in Boston, but I think league-wide, quietly one of the most important players to watch for these last few weeks. Yeah, and maybe that becomes a question if they start to see that number one seed drift further and further away. I I wouldn't be too concerned about two three. Look, they've had the Sixers number for a couple of years now. Like there's, they've got a lot of defenders they can throw at James Harden. Um, right. They do pretty well matching up with Horford and others against Joel Embiid. Um, you know, you know, they should compete hard for that number one seed. Hard. Uh, because if you do get in a conference final situation, just like you want that home court last year, yeah, you want that home court against uh, against Milwaukee. But if it starts to become too much of a pipe dream, maybe you start thinking about getting your guys right, especially a guy like Grant Williams in the head before you uh, more than anything else uh, at this point. All right. Check out our guys, Chris Herring and Rowan Nagarney, all over the place on SI.com. Subscribe, rate, and review Open Floor and the Crossover Podcast. Good stuff, fellas. Rohan, I will leave you to your Tom Cruise tweeting, and uh, we'll see you next week. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.